Another week starts, and uh, unfortunately, I may have not exactly not worked this weekend. I did a little podcast with the wife that will be linked down below. It'd be hugely appreciated if you head over there and um, give it a listen, maybe even a like, which you should be doing to this video as well. It needs likes. It craves likes. Well, I suppose no delaying the inevitable. We're all here for the next chapter. Human Weaponry, Chapter 10, Interrogation. At some point, I must have fallen asleep. I woke up to a knock at my door. I had slept with my head on my desk and I had the worst cramp in my neck. I was pushing my white hair out of my face when the person on the other side of the door spoke. Hoses, you're awake. I went and opened the door a touch. This was a much younger human than Sergeant Garrick, or at least it looked that way. Sergeant Garrick requests you make your way to the brig. I can escort you. Yes, of course. Let me change back into my uniform. I closed the door. It'll be good to get that baggy human clothes off of me. I'm going to have to redo my hair, though. At some point during sleep, it had become undone, and now my hair was covering my face. It wasn't a difficult process, though. I just had to get it all in between my ears, so it rested down my neck and back. Then I put a clip in to hold it in place. I didn't know what to do with the human clothes, so I laid them out on the bed. I may have to sleep here again. I had read much before I slept. Human nuclear weapons were destructive to be sure, but what was more concerning was the quantity. The United States alone had over 14,000 nuclear warheads, all now ship-to-ship capable. Not only that, but the second largest human nation, Eurasia, controlled over 28,000. Oh, much less were shipboard than the Americans. Based on what I read, this cruiser I'm on alone could have enough nuclear missiles on it to wipe out the population of a sizable planet. Fast, too, over 50,000 miles per hour at top speed. Luckily, humans seem to never want to use them. Researching nukes had led me through a lot of Earth history, in which nuclear weapons were used only three times, and two of them were in the same war, much longer ago than the third instance. The third usage saw the Americans using a hydrogen nuclear missile on what was then called Russia. Most species that discover these weapons before space travel become extinct. Yet, these humans had them for over 100 years before they discovered faster-than-light travel. Now back to my familiar brown uniform, I went back to open the door. Before I did, I hesitated and glanced back towards the desk, where I knew I'd hidden the human sidearm that I took from the armory earlier. I decided to leave it and open the door. The human was now standing straight next to my door. I got another confirmation that they were young as they curiously looked me up and down before realizing that they should probably do their job. The brig is this way. We just need to get to the elevator, and then it's a short walk to the viewing chamber. Very well. You lead the way. We began moving towards the elevator, the same one I had taken up to my room. The doors closed on it automatically once we were inside. The brig must be much lower in the ship, as we were now moving for quite a while. I took the opportunity to ask something I was curious about. So, why do humans seem to have two names each? 
I noticed yours and Sergeant Garrick's name tag have two different names. The human had relaxed a bit since he'd first spoken to me. It's a first and last name. Serves to better differentiate ourselves from each other and signify what family we're from. We use our last name generally for formal purposes. Interesting. Why would you need two names to differentiate yourselves? In case someone else has the same first name. Why would you and someone else have the same name? Because they're... The door opened and cut off whatever other ridiculous question he was going to ask. On the way to observation, we had to stop twice for the human to stop, stand up straight, and his right arm and hand to his face while someone walked past. Human military customs are quite strange, or possibly just American customs. We eventually made it to the door that the human opened by inputting a code. He then held it open and motioned me inside, then closed it again. Inside was a table and more small chairs, Sergeant Carrick and two others, and a window looking out into a room with a desk and two chairs around it. Glad you can make it, Osus. I know this isn't your usual job, but you're the only one from your species here. Garrick was back in his combat gear. I'm guessing he was going to serve as a muscle needed if any flourishing prisoners decided to get physical. That and the other human guards surely located in the brig. A large, heavy-looking door opened in the room. I could see through the window. A smaller flourishing walked through the door and sat down before the door closed automatically behind them. This was the first time I'd gotten a good look at one. They weren't all black like I'd thought. They had large armor plates on their body that were black, but the visible skin in between them was more gray, similar to myself. I had thought that these creatures were wearing combat armor, but it looked like it was actually natural. Additionally, at least this individual had white streaks on the skin going up its arms. It did look very thin from what I could tell, though not like me. I am thin compared to humans because my home gravity is less than that of Earth. I'm not malnourished. This individual looked unhealthy and moved in a fashion to suggest sickness. It had some sort of device on one of its wrists, probably something to track its movement. An older-looking human in white warmer web opened a different door and walked in. They were in formal dress, but they still had a holstered weapon on their hip. They sat down on the other side of the table from the flourishing. The human spoke in a bit of a different way from the others, enunciating different parts of the words for some reason. Good morning, Fred. Is the translator we gave you working? The flourishing spoke, or at least the translator did, in a monotone voice. True. Very well. I'm going to ask you some basic questions about your species. Is that okay? This isn't my decision. You can't answer questions. I am not permitted. Not permitted? By whom? A leader unknown. The translator must have not had the word for whatever the fruition said. This leader. Were they on the ship with you? True. Then they are dead. They're dead? Most definitely. The Flourishian looked down for a moment, then glanced at the device based on his wrist. It seemed to be pondering something. Finally, it turned back to the human interrogator. What do you want to know? End of chapter. Alrighty. 
I'm pre-recording this one, it's on the same day as the previous one, but will only be released as the next one. So, yeah, that's confusing. But anyways, likes with a like monster, as they say. Just a quick plug, the wife and I did a podcast this weekend, which is up on the second channel. If you're interested in me rambling about sci-fi for two hours, then head over and check it out. On to the narration once more. Human Weaponry, Chapter 11, More Crimes. Ozus! Ozus, come on, we need to go. Come on, Ozus, let's get up. Ozus! I opened my eyes to Sergeant Garrick standing over me. There was a loud, piercing ring in my ears. I was extremely disoriented. Somehow, I had gone from sitting in a chair, watching an interrogation, to laying on the floor. There was broken glass and smoke everywhere. My head throbbing. I had definitely landed on it. I tried to get up, but something was stopping me. I was too busy to stand. Things were becoming more coherent, though. I noticed Garrick had his sidearm in his hands and was looking around the room, waiting for me. I looked around more. There was a human on the floor under a chair. They looked dead. The glass came from the dividing window, which had shattered. The parts of the interrogation room that I could see were black and deformed looked like some sort of blast had gone off. My vision kept getting blurry and then coming back to focus. I was trying my hardest to get up and follow Garrick, but I couldn't. All right, Ozus. I'm sorry. This isn't gonna feel good. He put his sidearm in his holster and bent down towards me. He wrapped one arm around my abdomen, picked me up, and put me over his shoulder. It must have certainly did not feel good. Everything was sore. I couldn't tell if any of my injuries were serious. It was almost enough pain to stop me from being amazed at how little effort it seemed to take Garrick to pick me up and run while holding me. Almost. We got out into the corridor. A large group of soldiers was stationed in the hallway, making their way towards the interrogation room slowly, weapons drawn. They pulled us past them, where we were pushed towards two field medics. Garrick laid me down on the floor in front of them, drew his side up and joined the group of soldiers. The two medics, one male and one female, or both female, I couldn't tell with the masks. They both had long hair. They started looking over me, quickly at first, then one seemed to hesitate and look at the other. I have no idea how to help this thing. We need to get it to the med bay and do a scan. Right, I'll call for a stretcher. Put pressure here. Piece of shrapnel. Looks like ballistic glass. Left eye. I managed to raise my head and look down at my legs. My uniform over my left leg had a big rip in it, and that the edges of the tear were coated in blood. Looking at it was a bad idea. I laid my head back down. The other medic took out a white piece of fabric and pressed it against my leg. I clenched my teeth. There was lots of yelling. Some kind of alarm was blaring. I don't know how long I lay there, but I do remember two people running past holding red cylindrical objects with some sort of hose attached to it. Eventually, the two medics turned up. One was barely large. He took a square object off of his back and unfolded it. He turned into a long, thin rack with handles on the sides. They all carefully lifted me onto it and carried me out of the hallway. One of them looked at me and pulled something out of his pocket. This is going to make you feel better until we can get you to the doctors. The object was small and sharp and had some sort of liquid in it. He pushed it into my leg where the wound was. 
It only took a moment before the pain dulled, and then went away. I briefly wondered how the human knew that I wouldn't have some sort of fatal reaction to the medicine, but decided that the lack of pain was worth the risk. Once the pain was gone, I fell unconscious again. I don't know how long it had been when I woke up again. I do know that I'd been moved to a white room and put in a bed. Everything was white. Curious. Human medical staff seemed to have an affinity for all things white. I was alone in a room. I was careful not to move. I didn't know what they had done, nor the extent of my injuries. Additionally, I was connected to a few devices. One had various information on it, including some charts, which I assumed were a heartbeat measurement given the pattern. There was also some kind of bag filled with a clear liquid connected to a tube going to my forearm. They had also removed my uniform, as I was now in a loose white piece of clothing that covered my whole body. It was a mild tinge of embarrassment, but if there was one universal fact of medicine across species, it's that clothes get in the way. I was looking around more at the room when there were two knocks at the door, which then opened a few seconds later. Then walked what looked to be an older man with lots of white hair on his head and face. Well, other than your blood containing a compound similar to Orishiel, we were able to figure out how to treat you with relative ease, he chuckled. We probably should have asked for information on your anatomy before you came on board. He took a seat in the chair with wheels and scooted closer to me. Are you feeling okay? I can't feel the wound on my leg, but my head is hurting a fair bit. He smiled. Well, if you didn't want to be injured, I suggest not being so close to an explosion next time. They're dangerous, you know. Evidently. Do you know what happened? Any more information outside of an explosion occurred in the brig is out of my pay grade. Now, I was just checking on you. You've been asleep for a few hours. We removed all the shrapnel in your leg. It should be fine in a couple days. I'd suggest getting some rest. If you're dead set on staying awake, there's a remote on your bedside that controls the screen on the wall there. He left the room. I pulled the white blanket off of me to look at my leg. It was wrapped in a white fabric, and a pinkish color was starting to get through. They had done a good job, not the exact way we would have treated it, but it worked. Another knock came from the door, and I quickly covered up. This time, when it opened, Sergeant Garrick walked in, this time in the same white clothes as me. His right arm was in a sling of some sort. Hey, Ozus, how are you feeling? Better. Your medical staff did well despite the lack of knowledge. What happened, Garrick? I don't remember anything before I woke up on the floor. We're still figuring it out. All we know is that once it started answering our questions, some sort of explosives inside the Florician detonated. Ironically, the only thing that saved you and I was the same ballistic glass that they had to surgically remove from your leg. Two humans are confirmed dead. The other Florisians are understandably refusing to speak at all now, and they seem to have no knowledge of the explosives. We've elected to leave them in the brig for now. It's a shame you didn't capture any of their leadership alive. Yeah, that would have made things easier. Old Carson had to blow the only alive one we found apart. So, where do we go from here? Between the hit we took from their ship's primary mass drivers and this explosion, 
We're looking at a few days before we can re-establish superluminal communications. We're on our own until then, and we can't travel back to your station on sublight engines while undergoing repairs. What's our plan after it's repaired? We're going to hail the Federation fleet in the nearest star system and explain what happened. Then we will rendezvous with the Second Cell Defense Group to escort us back to Federation space, where we'll drop you off and call the Council meeting to alert the community of the Federations. Not to be rude, but you humans haven't been a part of the Federation long enough to call a Council meeting. We figure that a new hostile slave species takes precedence over those rules. Fair enough. I guess I'll be staying here a bit longer then. Garrick chuckled. We'll find something for you to do to pass the time. After you're feeling better, of course. He moved towards the door and was about to walk out. Wait, Garrick. Yes? Thank you for, um, carrying me out of there. Don't mention it. End of chapter. Another day, another human weaponry. No special or deep messages today. Just story. And maybe a bit of plugging to the merch store. Go check it out. Might be something that you want. Who knows? Not me. That's for sure. Anyways, on to the story. Human Weaponry, Chapter 12, Strikecraft. I had sat up on the bed. I could put weight on my leg now. Whatever medicines the humans had given me worked well. I was testing my weight when the door opened without knocking this time. A man walked in, a fairly short man. He had a different uniform than I hadn't seen yet. Sergeant Garrick requests your presence in the hangar bay. We're preparing fighters in case we get attacked again. I was about to respond, but he left before I could. I noticed that my uniform was unfolded on a desk in the corner of the room. Upon closer inspection, it had been mended where the shrapnel had torn through it. I'd have to thank whoever did that. I could walk fairly normally now with a slight limp. I was actually happy that the man had left without showing me the way to the hangar bay. Now I could explore a little in the name of finding it. Maybe not though. Everything was clearly labeled on the floors in red letters. I already was seeing arrows pointing me where to go to find the hangar. Curious though, there were two, hangar A and hangar B. No doubt the sides of the ship. He did not say which one to go to. I'd try B first, as it was closer. There was a long, wide hallway with the smaller vehicles like I'd seen in the armory earlier lining the walls. There were shelves and crates as well. Humans, some in combat gear, and some wearing bright orange were milling about. One was particularly interesting. They were inside a metal exoskeleton, and they were picking up large crates and moving them. The crates looked very heavy. I wondered if they'd used these exoskeletons in a combat role. I walked through the large door into Hangar B. It must be so large to accommodate the tanks in the corridor separating the two hangars. I can't imagine why they'd need to be able to go into the hangar though. Or at least I couldn't imagine why until I saw what must be the ships that transport them. They were huge. They were heavily armored too. Giant transport ships lined the interior side of the hangar with visible maneuvering thrusters on the back of the wings. It had a large kinetic weapon on the nose, and what looked to be other weapons on the wings that I hadn't seen yet. They looked like miniature versions of the nuclear missiles that I'd seen while doing research. It was definitely large enough to move a tank, but also had an interior lined with seats, likely used to move soldiers. 
None of these looked like what I'd consider a fighter. One vehicle sitting with the others in the middle of the hangar bay was particularly interesting. It was small and sleeker than the transport ships. It looked to be both atmosphere and space use, as it had two sets of wings. A long set in the front and a small set at the back. It had two large circular thrusters in between the two sets of wings. On the nose, it had some sort of cannon, circular with multiple barrels. The wings were lined on the bottom with cylindrical pointed objects that again looked like the giant missiles I had seen. Evidently, I had picked the wrong hangar. All these vehicles looked to be transport or bomber category. The fighters must be in hangar A. It was a familiar feeling walking over to hangar A. An occasional human would stop and look at me. New species were funny like that, always fascinated with other species. It was understandable, but still humorous. I realized something looking at the soldier walking past me. They were all carrying firearms, yes, but something else. They were all wearing gloves with hard material on the knuckles of their fingers. Additionally, they all carried melee weapons, large and sharp with a handle. It fits into some kind of holster on their hip or chest. This suggested that the humans were also adept at melee combat, despite their lack of natural weapons. I yet to see any examples of it, but it was interesting to think about. I was right about Hangar A being for fighters, or I thought I was, as Sergeant Garrick was standing inside of it, talking to a human in a bright orange clothes. He hadn't noticed me yet, so I decided to look at the fighters. These were the ones that I had briefly seen when I entered the cruiser for the first time. They looked more like what I would consider a fighter. Smaller. It looked like it could only hold two humans. Most of the thrusters were on the back, as with all other human ship designs. Every ship that I'd seen so far had dominant thrusters on one end. Not only that, but just like other human ships, lots of firepower. It had at least three forward-facing kinetic weapons. I wanted to expect it further, but Garrick saw me. Hard to think that it took him that long. I kind of stand out, to say the least. Ozus, over here! I walked over. The human Garrick was with walked away. Well, I know your specialty is hand weapons, but as long as you're here, there's not much else to do. I thought I'd give you more of a tour. Garrick, I'm just curious. Why were you assigned to help me? You're just a soldier, correct? Well, uh, more or less. They assigned me this job because I'm the only one on the ship who has any previous experience communicating with aliens in person. None of which were your species, but uh, I suppose it's better than nothing. Don't get me wrong, I appreciate your company. I just wondered why I wasn't met by a diplomat or something similar. A diplomat wouldn't have any experience with weapons or combat. I suppose that's true. So, are these your fighters? Yes. Production model F-1000 Fury Fighters, to be exact. Atmosphere and vacuum capable. Are they FDL capable? Heavens no. They're strike craft that we carry on larger FTL-capable ships. They only leave the cruiser when something relatively close needs to be engaged. This might be the area we have the humans outclassed in. Just looking at them filled me with doubt about their capabilities. Although I had the same doubt when seeing their kinetic hand weapons, so I tried to keep an open mind. They were clearly man-fighters. We had been using fighter drones for a very long time, and they generally were superior to conventional fighters. 
You don't use drones? Oh no, we do. The benefit just haven't made them worth the extra cost for fighters yet. Plus, drones can be hacked or even taken out of commission by communications jabbers. We make use of drone craft for reconnaissance and occasionally bombing. I had no idea how drones could be considered not worth it. It must just be personal bias. Either I am biased to drones, or Garrick is biased to mancraft. What are their base armaments? Well, stock models come with a 30mm nose cannon, and two 12.7mm secondary machine guns. Missiles are stored in pods on the side. Missiles? Like nuclear missiles? Sort of. Chemical propellant explosives, some tracking, some not. What sort of explosive yield do you get from them that small? Well, it depends on the type. Um, they are much smaller than the Ironhead missiles the cruiser carries. These are generally normal chemical propellant, but some small warhead. However, they can be nuclear or even antimatter. You have weaponized antimatter? End of chapter. Okay, morning crew. Another day, another human weaponry. And as always, I hope that you enjoy. Human Weaponry, Chapter 13, Antimatter Antimatter weapons were restricted in the Galactic Defense Navy. However, there was no way to enforce restrictions on individual members. They are defined as a PK-class or planet killer. A sufficiently sized antimatter weapon, most commonly anti-hydrogen, could render an average-sized planet completely uninhabitable, and, in rare cases, destabilize the planet entirely, causing it to break apart. Now, I was given to believe that this one human cruiser not only carried two antimatter warheads, but that it also ran on an anti-hydrogen reactor, with auxiliary power being nuclear. Even though Garrick had said that there were fighter-sized variants of the anti-hydrogen missiles, they were not stocked on this ship due to how expensive they are. Two planet killers on one military ship. One of them could probably turn a quarter of a terrestrial planet into an inferno. Apparently, humanity hadn't yet realized that these weapons were an affront to nature and should be completely eradicated from existence. However, it is not my job to sway the opinion of Sergeant Garrick or any of the other humans on this ship. That is for various leadership representatives to discuss. Why does humanity seem to insist on weaponizing every single piece of technology they discover and use said technology in their logistical roles later? The humans had nuclear power, yes, but it took them leveling two cities to get there. That is what concerned me. This ship runs on anti-hydrogen and also carries anti-hydrogen weapons. Did that mean that the humans used antimatter in combat before? Was I thinking too much about it? Garrick seemed to be against revealing any personal opinion on the subject when prodded. All I could get out of him was something about fear the unknown and big stick diplomacy. It was something I hadn't considered. These humans are like me, individuals, far from something like a hive mind. They all must have their own differing ideals, morals, and other various beliefs. I just hadn't been exposed to much of them yet and I had only interacted with military personnel, not civilian. The proof of their individuality was evident in the fact that they had conducted war on each other. A species under one common goal does not fight amongst itself. I was back in my room now. It had only been a couple cycles. I didn't feel that way. 
so much had happened since I stepped on the ship for the first time. It had been much longer since I'd seen any members of my species. I was the only one on that station, which was to be expected. There weren't many of us around anymore. We tend to be, um, solitary. All this interaction with humans was far from the norm. Evidently, I'm under stress. I hadn't eaten anything since before I got here and only just now realized it. I thought about contacting Garrick or somebody to show me to the cafeteria, but since there was no restrictions on where I could go on my own as of yet, I decided to go myself. After all, clear signage indicated where everything was. It was lights out for the crew. There was no way I was sleeping, truth be told. I wasn't exactly hungry either, but I needed something to do. The lights in the hallways were dimmer during this time. Enough to see, but still dim. I had no idea if the cafeteria would even have open access, or if it would have anything available at this time. Nor did I know if anything served there would be compatible with me. It was probably better not to ask questions. This trip was more about looking out of the windows and curing boredom than eating. Curious, it was closer than I expected. There must be a small cafeteria for groups of living areas, instead of one big mess hall. It was one human-sized door with a button panel next to it. I pushed it, and the door opened. I had to duck under the door to go inside. The lights were on in here. Tables and chairs were covered most of the room. Some sort of tall boxes on one wall, and countertops with what looked like eating accessories, none of which I'd probably know how to use. Additionally, there was a group of five humans sitting at the tables in clothes that I hadn't seen before. Not uniforms. They were what I'd imagined to be human casual clothes. Said humans stopped talking and stared at me as I ducked in. Amazed expressions. They most likely hadn't seen an alien before, at least not in person. These humans were also not alarmed, confirming that they were not military personnel, or if they were, they were off duty. One finally said something. You're an alien. This amazing breakthrough was met with a swift hit on the shoulder from another sitting at the table. I chuckled and responded, You're an alien. The human male, rubbing his shoulder, nodded his head a bit and decided that this was fair enough. I don't suppose there's any food in here. Another human responded this time, what I believe to be a female, with long black hair. Yes, wait. Well, um... What do you eat? What do you mean? I mean, like types of food. Humans are omnivores. There's meat and plant products available. Oh, I understand now. I'm a herbivore. She stood up and walked over, looking somewhat scared as she got closer. I didn't blame her. She was short by human standards. Staring up at something like me must be jarring. The full cafeteria doesn't open till morning, but there's food here 24-7 for passengers like us. What do you mean, passengers like you? We're civilian, not military, so we don't have to conform to lights out. We don't work until late tomorrow. Anyway, there are no meals, just small items like fresh fruit, salad, oatmeal, bread, that sort of thing. I looked at her blankly. I don't know what any of those are. She looked towards the ceiling for a moment. Right, uh, duh. Okay, um, I'll show you. She walked over to one of the counters. It had a large metal tray on it with some sort of glass covering. She picked up one of the lids by the handle, revealing small, spherical red and green plants, picked from some sort of larger host plot, no doubt. Interesting colors. So, these are apples. 
quite sweet and tart, crunchy. Sorry, it's hard to describe flavors. She moved over to the next tray and removed the lid. They were orange and even more spherical than the apple. These are oranges. I laughed. Quite a creative name for them. She seemed on edge. She didn't seem to hear the hilarious joke I just made. Yes, um, they're sweeter and less tart than apples. Sorry, you just have to try them. Flavors are difficult to explain. I understand. As long as they're plant-based, I should be able to eat them. All right, good. Well, um, there's also water and coffee if you want something to drink. Coffee? God, why do I keep assuming that you know what any of these are? It's a drink like water, served hot, and we usually drink it in the morning to wake up a bit. It's bitter, so we usually add sugar to it. The temperature of it wakes you up? Oh no, uh, the caffeine in it does. I thought we were the only ones. It was impossible to find anything with caffeine outside of my home system. Everyone else thinks that we're crazy. This was the first thing that we had in common with the humans. Very exciting. I would like to try the coffee. Sure. Do you want sugar in it? I'll try it by itself first. All right, sir. Uh, just grab one of those mugs there, put it under the spout, and push the top button to pour some. I did what I was told with a somewhat small cup. The liquid was dark brown and steaming. It must be quite hot. I closed my eyes and brought the cup to my mouth, took a small sip, and my eyes shut open. Well, what do you think? Somehow, staying on the ship for more time just became much more acceptable. End of chapter. Another day, another human weaponry. Remember that there won't be any this weekend while I try my very best to take the weekend off. The next one will be on Monday. Also, there will be the next episode of the podcast released this weekend for those that are interested. Anyways, on to the story. Human Weaponry, Chapter 14, Osis. The coffee had proven to be most desirable, and it gave me that unfamiliar feeling of energy that the equivalent from home did. Of course, the caffeine was only the similarity, but that was enough for a nice little bit of nostalgia. The humans had left, so I elected to take a cup and one of the apples back to my room. If this drink was any similarity to those of home, I wouldn't be sleeping. Maybe I would spend more time on the laptop. I was also growing tired of the uniform once again. It was not designed for comfort, and a new set of leisure clothes had been placed in my room, probably when I was in the mid-bay. I'd have to ask if my uniform could be cleaned once again. Something specific was clawing at me. I thought I had earlier. Based on what I had seen, humans developed and used weapons of mass destruction before using the technology in logistical roles. The ship had antimatter weapons as well as antimatter reactor. Therefore, logic dictates that they must have used antimatter in combat before. Maybe there was information about it on the internet, like I had found about nuclear weapons. Doubtful. I was surprised to even see as much information as I had on nukes, let alone humanity's history with them. Most species tend to lock down their history and keep it to themselves, which only made me more worried. If two cities being destroyed was public information, what else had been done that the humans didn't feel could be made available to anyone? Coffee has an interesting effect. My body was tired, but the caffeine was doing its job. A strange feeling, being physically tired but mentally awake. 
one that could no doubt be remedied by being wrapped in a soft cloth in bed while also reading about morbid events from humans' history. Truly the best of both worlds. The instant feeling of privacy and relief one feels when closing the door to their personal space would sell out quickly if it was made into a drug. The humans had been nothing but accommodating, but they were strangers to me, even Sergeant Garrick. It was good to have solitude. Best of all was taking the awful pins I had in my hair as a part of my uniform. It felt like my scalp was being pulled on all day. Having white hair obscuring my vision was preferable. Even when off the human ship, taking them out and letting my hair just fall around me aimlessly was one of the best things I regularly experienced. It was probably my imagination, but the human uniforms looked much more comfortable on them. Less tight and more intuitive. I'm sure that they hate their uniforms too, though. I can't imagine the intelligence of those who had designed our uniforms is very high. Every time I take the top off, it succeeds in getting caught in the scales on my neck and shoulders no less than four times. That was the benefit of the human clothes provided being very baggy. They just slipped on. The shirt still didn't go all the way to the waist of the sweatpants, but it was more comfortable than lying in a tight uniform. I briefly wondered why the shirt was white when the military aesthetic of the humans had been green or light brown so far. It had to be somewhat comedic sight, me being just the amorphous bob of white, with my hair blending in with the clothes. It was interesting to see small aspects of human culture through their appearance. So far, the males seemed to have shorter hair compared to the longer hair I'd seen on the females. It wasn't a requirement, though, because I'd met a male with long hair. All of the males in the military dress had short hair, though, which must be regulated. It made sense. Long hair can be used against oneself in a fight, as it can be grabbed. The humans solved this by simply cutting their hair. We solved it by forcing it all behind our ears with pins. Cutting our hair would be very uncommon. Curious that we'd both develop extra hair only on the top of our heads. The answer was almost certainly not very interesting. It doesn't take a genius to realize that both of our species are just exposed to UV radiation from our host star and the hair protects us. This bed would need another foot added to the end to allow me to completely stretch out. Luckily, I was plenty comfortable to fold up it, but it would be easier to hold the laptop that way. As I'd learned that it was portable, it had an impressive battery life, and you simply needed to place it back on the desk in order to charge it. The humans seemed to prioritize simplicity and their stored information. When you opened a search engine, you could tell that it was modified for military ship. It had a notice of the last date that the ship was close enough to human space to get new information. Therefore, all information on the internet here was a tad bit old. Additionally, under the search text box were news articles from Earth on various topics. Politics, weather, private companies, government decisions. The weather was surprisingly more eye-catching than expected. Supposedly, a massive hurricane was due to strike the southern United States. There was a map to go along with it. 11 million people had evacuated from Florida in preparation. Based on the date, this hurricane would have already hit by now. There was an oversaturation of political news articles, though most of them were concerned about the run-in the UN had with the Floritians, unnerving to see articles dismissing them, calling them nothing but disorganized pirates. 
They had no idea what happened on the ship yet. Earth was blissfully unaware of how much danger it was in. I came to read about things other than politics or weather, and so far current news from Earth was quite depressing. All of the human history was completely accessible to me. This would probably not be the case for long as humanity meets more civilizations. If they keep this public, everyone will be able to learn pretty much all they need to know about the human strategies. The first result that came up when I searched walls in human history sent chills down my spine. An article titled, List of Walls by Death Toll. Even more chilling was the fact that it had been recently edited to show the domestic walls. Did that mean that they were preemptively preparing to catalogue a possible war with the Florentians? Gods, the walls were organised into countries. Somehow they had intimate knowledge of the conflicts that happened multiple thousands of years ago. You can learn a lot about a species, about how they treat their history. Most species that are ashamed of theirs will hide it behind regulation and censorship. Yet, that wasn't the case with humans. There were plenty of articles discussing the atrocities committed by various groups. They called them war crimes, which was an oxymoron if I'd ever heard one. This was infinitely more interesting than the walls themselves. I'd have to read about them. What I found scared me more than anything that I had learned up until this point. I had been operating under the false assumption that this United Nations was an effort to unite Earth under one government. I was very wrong. No, the UN existed to regulate war. The implication being that the humans are so terrified of what they are capable of that they need to tell themselves not to enslave people, torture prisoners, intentionally attack civilians, and many more ideals that should be common sense. Never had I felt more conflicted. Was this admirable or terrifying? Could it be a little bit of both? Was I repulsed because I simply didn't understand it? Accounting for personal bias has been the most exhausting thing that I'd done during this trip. Maybe I needed a break. It wasn't until I swung my legs off the bed to stand up that I even remembered that I only recently had been treated for a giant piece of glass shrapnel in my thigh. Despite the anatomical differences, the medicine they gave me worked. It was just slightly discolored and sore now. A far cry from the large wound gashing pink blood that it had been previously. The coffee was cool enough to not just sip now. It was much better to be able to take sizable swigs rather than trying to enjoy it while I was trying to melt the inside of my mouth. The female had said that they usually mix sugar in because of the bitter taste. Curious. Their taste buds must work differently. This was a flavor that I usually prefer. What they call bitter. Though that was the last thing I had been thinking about when I met them. The only thing in my head at the time was how are the humans a predator species when they seemingly have no natural weapons to speak of. Evolution was odd like that. It had shed some light on what I had learned about the UN though. For their entire existence as a species, humans have had to rely on their ability to create weapons to survive. And it stands to reason that after thousands of years of this, that they'd create such destructive instruments that they'd be afraid of themselves. I sighed and rubbed my face. I am apparently not capable of not turning every thought that I have into a long tangent that leaves me standing in the middle of the room blankly staring at a wall. There was a large, integrated mirror in the corner of the room. It was quite entertaining to go stare at myself in these clothes. 
It was almost like a costume. Humorous how most humans were much shorter than me, but I had complete confidence that most of them could kill me with relative ease. At least it would be a quick way to go from what I had seen. Well, if they used a firearm anyway. Now that I had seen a variety of humans, I could understand why they attempted to use their own civilities when greeting me. In general, it had been pretty easy for me to determine the sex of each human that I interacted with thus far. Looking at myself, parts of me resembled traits of both male and female humans had. It must be quite confusing to them. Understandable, though. If a species grew up with that level of sexual dimorphism, it makes perfect sense that they develop language around it. It wasn't that my species didn't have male versus female biology, just that it had so little impact on our lives that we just didn't really care. You never know what each of us are unless you asked, and that was a personal information we rarely disclosed unless with a partner. Ugh, and the whole purpose of me using this laptop again was to see how the humans had used antimatter, and I distracted myself again. I seriously need to get more self-control. Back to the search engine. Let's see, um, antimatter weapons. I'll be damned. After the first antimatter reactor was put into use, a resolution passed by the UN declared any and all development of weaponized antimatter to be a violation of international law. End of chapter.